Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I love mixed crowds. No, really, I, I like seeing a little black, a little white, a little brown in between, old, young. You know, it's sort of like heaven. Really. This idea that we'll have, well, there'll be the section over there and then the, the boring white section over there. It's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. We're all going to be doing something. You know, uh, sorry, that, that wasn't in my notes. Um, Pastor, uh, Pastor William, we, we've known, known of each other for, that's like 20 years. I mean, really, back in the days of GCI. And, uh, you know, we would say, hi, how are you doing? Maybe sit and have lunch with a bunch of other people. But um, just over the last few months, God's been knitting us and connecting us. And he just said, well, we'd love to have you up, do a, a Freedom Weekend, et cetera, et cetera, and maybe contribute a little bit to what, what God's doing in this church. So uh, first off, it's just been, I've had a hoot being here. I mean, um, the, the Freedom thing, for those of you who went, we had, we had a time. We had a time together. I mean, we met God, and... Uh, Heck, I, I'm more free, you know. Um, anyways, he wanted me to say something about myself. Uh, I've actually got three full-time jobs. My first full-time job is I'm married to my wife, Becky, and I have three wonderful girls. Um, you, you know how men normally do. They just, you know, categorize. I don't do that. I just stack them. I, just, I have one full-time job, always on my heart, always on my mind. It's my family. And the second thing is, um, at Manna Church, this is not bragging, I'm just telling you. The church is about 9,300, and, uh, and it's known for developing leaders. And so they brought me in to be the pastor of leadership development. I mean, way overwhelmed. I've, I've worked for years helping developing leaders. But now, I'm going, all these people, what am I going to do? And the guy who's my direct supervisor, he... Uh, well, he gave me a real teaching moment. He says, listen, your job is not to do the work of the ministry. Your job is to train other people and raise up teams. I go, oh, that's right. That's right. Leaders don't do ministry. Leaders develop people so that they can do ministry. And I went, oh, that's right. I've been teaching that for years. Now I get to live it. And then uh, the third thing is uh, I travel, I'm sometimes locally, but mostly international. Um, uh, locally, like in the southeast, uh, I oversee a, a few churches, and that's always fun because every church is different, and each church has different problems. Um, then I work uh, with a group of churches in the UK. They're a church planting machine called New Frontiers. They do stuff in the UK and Eastern and Western Europe. And then um, I do a lot of stuff in Asia, China, Taiwan. So I got a lot of frequent flyer miles. It's amazing. You know, you're in ministry to glorify God, help people. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, how many miles am I going to get for this trip? You know? Because I use my miles sometimes to bring my family with me. Um, I just a couple months ago, I brought everybody to Taiwan. And for three weeks, it was great. They, they hosted my wife and girls. I worked hard. I saw them in the morning. I saw them in the evening. But they, they toured Taiwan. They know more about Taiwan than I do, and I've been there a whole bunch of times. 
So th that's what I do. That's what I do. And now I'm going to share something from the Word. But first, I should pray. Good idea. It's what we do in church. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are not only amongst us, but for those of us who know you, you dwell in us. What a miracle that the that, that Spirit of God moves amongst us and dwells in us. Mm. Holy Spirit, it's not enough, though, that you're here. It just isn't. You're not simply a guest. You're God amongst us. You're God in us. And I respectfully put a demand on you. I beseech you, God, would you do what only you can do? Would you reveal Jesus? Would you speak truth to us in a way that doesn't inform, but rather transforms? Holy Spirit, I ask that you do that, because if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Holy Spirit, would you bring truth to us to transform us, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the people that we say we love and for the sake of your name that we carry with us wherever we go. Amen. There was a time when I was courting my wife. Well, actually, I was checking her out. I was sitting there going, is she or is she not the one? And praying about it. And then, you know, we, we, we did, you know, we met and talked a little bit. And then I just went, I'm going to go after this woman. You know, talk to the other guys in my life, and they say, go ahead, go ahead. If you fail, it's on you, but we think it's a good idea. So I did that, and I, I started pursuing her. They call it courting. You know, I, her, her father was dead. I went to her mother, and I go, look, you know, you hardly know me, but I'd like to pursue, you know, Becky. And uh, what do you think about that? And do you have any questions? And pff, she had some questions. I mean, oh, a lot of questions. She could have been a private investigator. Anyway, but no, it was good. It was good. And uh, so I went after her. And, and after a while, I'm going, I love this woman. And, you know, guys, you know that ladies know that you love them before you know that you love them. So she's sitting there waiting. She, she could see I love her. And finally I said, I want to tell her. So I told her that I loved her. And she just smiled. She's really laid back. She's, she's strong on the inside, but just gentle and laid back. And she goes, I love you too. And I'm going, oh, yes. But then I realized I had to follow up on that. So b being an American, and I've read all the books and all that sort of stuff, if you love a woman, you better give her roses. You be I mean, that's, and then it's, you know it's serious. So I waited a while, and then I got her a dozen roses. And she looked at me, and she goes, oh, Ben, thank you so much, you know? No, that's wonderful, but I mean, that's just how she is, so I'm good. You know, because guys, you know, we, we love our women, but when we do something that works, we love the points. We love saying, yes, I get the extra points. Come on, guys, isn't that true? It's about the points. It's about the points. I'll let you guys, well, no, you can do the marriage counseling after this. So... I'm doing this, and she's loving it. She's really appreciating it. And then one day I'm sitting with my mother-in-law, who incredible woman of God. She is the counterexample to every mother-in-law joke I've ever heard. I mean, she's godly. She, you know, she's not a nag. And she's just a great lady. 
and she likes me. So we're sitting there talking about this, that, and the other thing. We were in her garden, and she goes, well, you know, Becky loves gardening. I go, yes, um, she's, you know, she's made me make a garden for her and all that. She goes, yeah, and she just loves flowers, and bit, 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 bit. And then she just briefly brings out the fact that Easter lilies are her favorite flower. And I go, oh. But meanwhile, I'm going, she's an American woman. It should be roses. But, so Easter lilies, Easter lilies. So I waited a couple of weeks, and I, I brought back Becky an Easter lily plant. Now, my laid-back lady, she just went, ah, like that. And I, immediately, I'm going, points. I got points. But thank you so much. I mean, that was about as excited as I've ever seen her. She got the lilies, you know. And um, so later that evening, she goes, yeah, I really appreciated that, those lilies. You know, they're my favorite. And I go, actually, I just found that out a couple of weeks ago from your mom. And she goes, really? And I, and, and I said, look, honey, glad you're happy, but how come you didn't tell me? And she, said, she just looked at me. And she just smiled, and she goes, you never asked. So, so just hold that lesson. You know, here, I'm doing all this stuff to show her how much I love her, but it hadn't occurred to me to ask her what her love language was. You know, it, it hadn't occurred to me to actually find out what kind of flowers she liked. I just read the books, did what everybody else did, and it was sincere, but once I found out the, what she really liked, then I really hit it. So just... Hold that for a second. Another story. Um, I think it was maybe 20 years ago, more than that. I was in Chapel Hill, uh, walking down the main drag on the sidewalk. And when I chew gum, I usually put about three or four pieces of gum in there. I like to have a wad of gum in there because I like the sugar. And I like that thing. I just love that feeling. And so I'm chewing, but... The taste had long gone. Have you ever had a wad of gum that has lost its sugar? And then after a while, it loses its elasticity. And you're going... So it was, yeah, my jaw starting to hurt. What am I going to do? And I'm walking, and I'm looking for a little garbage, you know, garbage can. There's none to be found. So as I'm walking, I'm looking around. Nobody's looking at me. I'm not looking at them. So very deftly, I, I just reached in, took the, the water gum, and just right into the bush. As I, I'm confessing this to you. So I just keep on walking. I go maybe about ten steps. Holy Spirit, just you know when he just does that. He just gives you the nudge, and he spoke to my heart. He goes, go pick up your gum. And I, and I went, oh, Lord, it's just gum. You know, it's biodegradable in 300 years. Who will know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going maybe 10 more steps. And again, it says, go pick up the gum. You know when the Holy Spirit nags you without nagging you? And, and I'm going, Lord, it's just gum. I mean, really, you're the creator of the universe. Don't you have anything else to police? <laughs> huh? Look, I'm the go- I, I know you guys don't have these conversations. So I'm having this conversation. Then I go, and I hear him say, I mean, go pick up the gum. And now I'm sufficiently far away where I'm going, now... I'm, I'm really negotiating with him. Lord, obviously you want me to pick up the gun, but think about this. God, I will have to go back, 
And then I have to find the gum, because I actually don't remember exactly where I did it. And then, while I'm looking through the bushes, people in Chapel Hill are so friendly, someone's going to come by and say, excuse me, can I help you? And then I'm going to have to explain to them what I'm doing, Lord, sure, because you know, your will is really, really coming into conflict with my comfort zone. It just is. I'm, I don't like this. And I figured because of that negotiation, God said, all right, I'll, I'll give you a free pass. That's what I thought. So I'm walking a little further, and then the Holy Spirit says this to me. Do you love me? I mean, he just raised the bar on this thing. Like, before it was like a command where I thought maybe I had some wisdom, some wiggle room, and then God brought it to an issue that, like, God's sitting there going, look, do you love me? But, 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 pick up the gum, be comfortable. And you're saying that Obeying you, that's how you want me to show it. I love you, that is just not fair. Right? But since he put it that way, I go, well, of course. Of course. So I go back. I go back. And it took me about 30 seconds to find the gum. Praise God. But then I found it. You know, it was dirty, had some leaves on it, and it was still wet. You know, and so I'm walking down like this. Finally found a garbage can, like at the corner, and just let it go. Now, why do I tell you these stories? Look, we're, most of us here are Christians, and it's very important that we do Christian things. We want to show how much we love God, so we worship God. We, we learn the songs, we sing the songs, you know, and we want to read the Bible. And it's good to pray, and really, seriously, honestly, if you're not in fellowship, you're killing yourself. So, you know, we can check off all the things that Christians do, because that's what Christians do. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. As a matter of fact, they're very beneficial. But those are like roses. For God's love language is not our earnestly pursuing all these activities. His love language is obedience. Now, I know you're saying, oh man, this is just going to be a bummer of a thing. No, it's not. But his love language is obedience. And our life is almost always God leads us and guides us, and then there's our way, our ideas, and then God's way, God's ideas, almost always. Have you ever just had a, you know, you have wisdom, and then you're fairly certain through Scripture and prayer, you know this is what God wants. And then, but you also have a pretty good idea. And you think, God, can we just sort of combine these things? You know, can we just get the best of both worlds? And God's going, no, 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 do this. But what about, have you ever just had that problem? Am I the only person? All right. God's love language is obedience. Now, before you get all bound up over this, I want to explain to you what obedience is not. Obedience is not getting it right. It's not the same. Obedience means just obeying, getting the train out of the station. If you have a four-year-old boy, hopefully you'll say, son, it's time for you to clean your room. And the boy, because he's just such a great kid, he'll go, yes, father, immediately. So he'll go to his room two hours later, because when kids clean their room, they've got to play with what they've got to clean, right? So they do all that sort of stuff, 
Two hours later, Father, I'm done. You come in, and the room is absolutely spotless. Come on now. Where are the dirty clothes, and where are the toys? Come on, you know where they are. They're under the bed. They're in the closet. They're back, you know. And here's the question. Did your boy obey you? Yes. Did he do it right? No. Now, you're going to have a problem with this kid if at age 18 he's still doing the same thing. But you know it was hard for that little boy to go, man, mama's been doing it, daddy's been doing it, now i got to do it. And, but he obeyed, and that's what counted. And you, 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 you should go, son, that was awesome. Thank you for your obedience. You did a great job. How about I teach you a better way to do it? Next time you can do a couple different things. That obedience is not the same as getting it right. It's great to be a person of excellence. But when you become a perfectionist, you're actually becoming a legalist. You're actually becoming a Pharisee toward yourself. And, you know, Jesus always had problems with Pharisees. Have you noticed that? Anyway, God wants to encourage us to continue doing what we're doing. But what he's really after are our lilies. What he's really after is just the simple obedience. Now, and... Don't just take my word for it. Take God's word for it. I'm just going to go through a couple of scriptures. You guys are looking at me going, I got up early. I, you know, I paid a tithe, and now I got to hear this message about obedience. Yes, that's exactly what happened to you. Here's some scripture. Here, but really, just follow me, and you'll find out that this is not a bad message. It's the, really one of the most liberating messages you can ever hear. First Peter chapter 1. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why God chooses us. He chooses us so that we could be part of his family. He chooses us so that we would have a place in heaven. He chooses us so that we don't have to go to hell. There's a whole bunch of things. But here's one thing that he's chosen us to do. You have been chosen for obedience to Christ Jesus. One of the reasons that we have become born again and become new creations in Christ, one of the reasons God does a new work in us and where we find excellent fulfillment is in obeying Jesus Christ. We were chosen for obedience. It's not contrary to our new nature to obey God. That's what we were born again for. Many people go, obedience is such a bummer. No, when you're born again, something happens in you when your heart is sitting there going, really following Jesus, doing his ways, that's, that's what I'm here for. So one of our purposes here on, on planet Earth, once we're born again, is to obey Jesus. This is not contrary to a Christian's nature. It's actually an expression of it. Second, Matthew 28. You've all heard of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. I just want to say something about the Great Commission. Here's how many people think of the Great Commission. Let's just have healthy church. We have great fellowship, great food, great music, great meetings, all that sort of stuff. And why don't we add evangelism to it? Or why don't we add a discipleship program to it? Now, I'm not against that. But I'm telling you, that's not God's best. Actually, the primary reason we have church, the primary reason, our foundational reason for existence, is that God would use his people to go and make disciples. That's the primary reason. Everything else is important 
but it's secondary. Everything. I'd, me- I'd mentioned this last night in another meeting. My wife is an artist. She's actually an incredible artist. And obviously I'm not. Like, this is my fashion statement. I'm dressing up, okay? Anyway, she, she just showed me that you can have an absolutely wonderful painting. But if you have the wrong frame, even though the painting doesn't change, the, the, the wrong frame takes away from it or it limits it. Whereas, if you get the right frame, the things in the painting, it brings it out. That's what the Great Commission is for the church. That's what the Great Commission is for an individual Christian. When we are framed by the Great Commission, when we're framed by that, everything that God puts us actually is brought out in greater measure. Everything we were called to be, all our plans, purposes, successes, all that sort of stuff, all our idiosyncrasies, our personalities, when it's framed by the Great Commission, then what's in there really gets pulled out. You get a a limiting frame where church is this thing that's designed to meet my needs, where church is designed to be a protection against the big bad world. Guess what? You still have the same great things, but that framing takes away from the painting. So Jesus is sitting there going, I want you all, Southern Jew, I want you all to go and make disciples. And what is it to make disciples? It says right here, teaching them to learn all the songs and to know where to sit on a Sunday morning and you know, all that sort of stuff. No. Or teaching them what to eat and what to bring, you know, for, for, for a covered dish thing. Part of the reason why we're here is to reach out to people, bring them out of darkness into the kingdom of light so they can be born again and then teach them to obey Jesus. And then they go do the same thing. That's why we're here. Jesus said the primary reason for the church is that we reach out to people and teach them to obey Jesus. You get the idea. That's the primary reason why we're here. 1 Corinthians 7.19 Of all the things that count, what really counts is obeying God's commands. Again, not getting it right. Not being legalistic. Not being... Not being hard on yourself because, well, you obeyed, but it didn't work out perfect the first or second or eighth time. Obedience is what counts. 1 John chapter 2. We know that we have come to love him if we obey uh, his commands. Look, with that gum-chewing thing, I'm telling you, that was a monumental thing. I'm not saying I'm the most obedient person in the world. But you know when you know God is just telling you to do something or refrain from doing something, or he wants to give you something like forgiveness or deliverance and all that, and you go, no, no, thank you, I'm good, or God, I've got a better way, you have all this conflict, but when you finally yield and you go, okay, and you get the train out of the station and you do it, just try it. How you feel is incredible. How you feel is like, this is hard, but my heart knows that I love Jesus because I did it his way. I mean, it's almost like when I gave my wife those lilies, I went, I would have much rather given her roses, really, because roses are more expensive, and, you know, they're cool and all that. But when I did it, there's something in my heart where I know I hit the mark. I know 
I am speaking my wife's love language. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is love for God. Remember, we got a whole bunch of things that we do. Oh, God, I love you. God, I love you. Yeah. And all these things are, are excellent roses. But it says here, now this is love for God, to obey his commands. Now, what does it say after that? It says, and his commands are not burdensome. I want to say something about that. I don't know about you, but I have bought into the lie every so often that sometimes Christianity is just flat out not fun. That Christianity is a great resource when you've tried every other resource. You try this, you try it, it doesn't work. Oh God, please help me, I've done stupid things. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's this idea that when the things that God tells us to do things he tells us to abstain from, oh, they're just a burden. Like, God, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be unequally yoked, but he's so hot. And the way he does his hair, and he wears a really cool cross, and he plays guitar, he is so hot. I I don't know if he's saved, but, you know, if we can just get married, I'm sure he'll become saved. I mean, all this sort of stuff. And, there, but, and here's it, look, don't be yoked with an unbeliever. You can love him, you can bless him and all that, but don't connect your heart with him. But he's so hot, yeah. And, oh God, this is so hard, I don't like to be alone. This command is so burdensome, right? Until you disobey that command. And then what you do is you get yourself into stuff where you go, wait a second, doing it my way actually turns out to be a lot more burdensome a lot more difficult than doing it God's way. Isn't that true? <laughs> you know, when Jesus says, I want you to forgive people who have hurt you, sinned against you, and to forgive them the way I have forgiven you. God, all right, can I just sort of love them in theory and at a distance? You know, could I, could I say, oh God, please don't beat them up too much? Would that be love? Listen, a lot of people think, oh, it's so hard to forgive. What they did, they molested me. They, they maligned me. They did all that. God, you know, that's, that's just too hard to forgive. Oh, really? What's your life like if you don't forgive? What is your life like if you don't forgive? You carry on the burden of guilt and shame and anger. And, you know, unforgiveness is like a weed. You know, you can clip off the top, but it'll always grow back. I mean, that's what unforgiveness... Scripture says that, that, that unforgiveness, that root, it'll not just defile you, it'll defile many. It's like a virus on your hard drive. And if it gets into your email, guess what? Boom! All your friends got it. So you tell me. Really, you tell me. Here's, you know, Jesus says, I want you to forgive as I've forgiven you. Or hold on to it. And then you go, oh, but it's so burdensome. Think again. The idea that God's ways are a burden, it is a deception. It is an absolute deception. I'm not saying that you guys are stupid. I'm not saying we're stupid. But I'm telling you, it is a deception. Well, you, know, you all know this, that you know, our country is going rather liberal. And, you know, and, and I'm not going to get political here. But there are people going, well, yeah, it's this God's prohibition against that. That's too hard. It's too this. It's too that. Think about it. What happens when we deliberately decide not to do it God's way? 
You'll go, okay, fine, I won't force you. But after a while, the burden you carry is way heavier than anything you would have had to carry if you'd just done it God's way. Isn't that true? Oh, I don't want to break up with him. I mean, he wants more from me than I really should give, and I don't want to lose him, and he's so hot, and he's got the cross and all that sort of stuff, and I'll be lonely. Hey, I'm telling you, honey, just say no and run. Just say no and run. Right? And if he comes chasing after you, find some big brothers with shotguns. So, excuse me. That's my sister over there. Do you shoot? <laughs> you know? I mean, there's stuff you can do. I am not advocating violence. Just the threat of violence. No, no, no. You get the idea here. Or you go, get a budget, you know, do do money God's way. No, no, I want to max out my credit cards. God will love me and, you know, he'll he'll come through with a special blessing. Yeah, maybe he will. But you know something, if you do things God's way, after a while, I mean, you're doing good. You can't immediately satisfy your needs, but in the long run, do a lot better. Do it your way. Whatever burden you got, it will multiply. Yeah? So really, this idea that God's commands are burdensome. Come on, you all know this. I'll just talk about the guys. You know, guys, when you've done something wrong, and then your wife overreacts. And the way she overreacts, it's, so, it's, worse, it's 10 million times worse than what you did. Right? Come on, guys, you're not even going to admit it because your wife will slap you right in public. Right? But no, you. And you're sitting there going, I know I should own what I did, but if I do that, she's going to think she's justified in doing what she's doing. I can't let that happen. I'll just be a rug. You just walk all over. I'm, tell, you know, I'm telling you guys, do the hard thing on the front end. Just go, honey. I'm so sorry. Don't say, I'm so sorry for hurting you in such a way that made you overreact in a sinful way. Don't do it that way. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, don't you hate those sort of apologies? Just, that's not an apology. That's well, Anyway, just go, honey, I'm so sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. And then it's up to her to decide whether or not she's going to get, obey God. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something about the burdens of obeying God that I did. Jesus saying, my my commands are not burdensome. Now, either he's tricking us or he's telling us the truth. Okay? John fourteen twenty one. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, that's the one who loves me. Now, I, that's a killer. And, but now, I'm, more and more, I'm realizing that when God wants me to do something, he's, he's not saying, do it my way or else. I mean, he, he doesn't operate that way. He's paid for all my sins. He's saying, look, I love you. Do it my way. But as an expression of your love for me, would you just do it my way? You, we need to know this. That God's love for us is never on the table. If you walk out of here and decide never to obey God or only to obey God when it's convenient, guess what? He won't love you any less than he loves you right now. And if you come out of here, you're transformed, and you just obey almost all the time, and you know, God won't love you any more than he loves you right now. What's at issue is when we obey God, we experience his love in an incredible way. It's more, it's realer, as my girls would say. Dad, that's just realer, isn't it? I go, no, it's more real. No, it's realer. 
In John chapter 21, you know the story. Peter screws up. You know, he denies the Lord three times. And then Jesus, you know, comes ashore. And then he has a little face-to-face. And Peter's just going, oh, what's he going to say? And Jesus starts off with, so do you love me? And Peter goes, yeah, of course I do, Lord. What's going on in Peter's mind? Think about it. I I like to try to get into the heads of uh, the people in the Bible. Imagine myself being them or being there. And here's Peter. Why are you asking me that? Isn't it bad enough that I'm carrying the guilt and shame of my major screw-up? I I said, I'll I'll never leave you. God, I'll stand up for you. And then I was a coward and I denied you three times. Major screw-up. And you're saying, do you love me? Oh, what are you going to do? I mean, immediately, you know Peter's going, I'm in trouble now. He's going to throw my past in his face. Look, I know what I did disqualified me. I know what I did has undermined my capacity to follow uh, Jesus and make him real. I know that. I know I've screwed up. And then Jesus, his follow-up question, very original, do you love me? Of course, Lord. Then uh, the first time he asked, started setting him in a tizzy, and then he was really blown away. He says, feed, feed my sheep. Uh, look, you're just trying to throw a bone to me. You know, I screwed up. I'm disqualified. You're talking about a calling that I just don't deserve that I'm not qualified for. Second time around, feed my sheep. No, feed my lambs. Oh, no, now you want, you're going to entrust to me younger people are more impressionable than older people? Lord, I, you're crazy. I, of course I love you, but listen, I have screwed up so bad. I am such a mess that the idea of me serving you and, 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 and being a minister, I can't do that. And then Jesus goes, do you love me? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Got all these excuses, all these th- things disqualifiers, all this, these weaknesses, and he's bringing them right in line with his will. So, okay, I want you to serve me this way. Do you love me? But, but Lord, I'm like this. I'm a screw-up. I don't know the Bible that well. You just pick your favorite. But do you love me? I'm not saying that this actually happened, but I can imagine it happening. You know when God told Moses, I want you to be my spokesman. Remember what Moses said, but Lord, I stutter. Then you remember what God's response was. Oh, that's right. Sorry, my bad. It's been a busy busy millennial in in heaven. The planets, the thing, and all that, right? And it's not you, it's the guy behind you. Sorry. I bet you God just sort of whispered. Yeah, you stutter, but do you love me? Do you love me? I don't I don't want your roses. I want your lilies. How many of us have weaknesses that are so bad we don't think we can go forward? Said, man, I'm screwed up. I've done porno. I've done this. You know, I'm engaged in homosexual behavior. I'm out of that, but I'm so wounded, and so I'm just happy to survive, happy to have a good life, and you know, I, I believe I'm going to go to heaven. And God's saying, yeah, okay, I got that, but I'm calling you to do this. Oh no, I'm sorry. Appreciate the job offer, but I am utterly unqualified. Do you love me? 
when we know what God is saying and it conflicts with what we think we can do or what we want to do, it feels like a conflict, doesn't it? It feels like, oh man, there's this battle. But just step back, really, just step back and realize who's talking to you. Okay, there's this guy, God, creator of the universe, creator of the universe. He knows stuff. Okay? I mean, he just knows stuff. He knows more than you. That you, you don't even have a second best. Like, he knows stuff. He not only created the universe, he created the earth, he created you. I mean, he knows you inside and out, and he still loves you. I mean, think about that. He knows you. Look, for me, this is mind-blowing. I used to be a philosophy professor at UNC Chapel Hill. I used to be really smart. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about really smart. I never, ever lost an argument as a graduate student, ever, even with professors. Didn't mean I always won. Have you ever met the kind of person who will argue with you? And they just won't let you win? That would be me. Always arguing. But anyway, I used to actually think that God was smart, but I had something to bring to the table. Right? But then I, I, then I got saved, and I still thought I had something to bring. And then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you really meet God, you go, you're God, I'm not. I'll bet you your will is always better than anything I can come up with. Really, and I mean, just just think of this. Oh, but he's so hot. Don't be yoked with unbelievers. But he's so good looking, he'll become a Christian. Don't be do that. Think about it. The the weight of brilliance that's behind God's command. Wow. You just go, like, if you have two people giving you advice, one who has an IQ of 300 and another one who has an IQ of 84 million, who are you going to listen to? But add to this, add to this. The one who knows everything, who's smarter than everybody, he actually loves you. And he died for you. He rescued you from the, the consequences of your sin. You're not going to hell. You're going to heaven. The Spirit of God lives in you. I mean, this is a good day at the office. Right? So if this guy who's saying, do this, and you're sitting there with, your, with, with, with all your brilliance going, but I want to do this. Right? Like, come on now. Just stand back. Just be rational. Yeah, even just for a Sunday morning. <laughs> or, you know, when, when God wants to challenge you, you go, all right, look, I'd like you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I'd like you to change how you do church so you could reach more people. And you go, and you go well, that's really nice, but that's not how I was raised. That my tradition doesn't allow me to do that. And what will people think? And I don't know if I can do that. And, you know, will I have to swing from chandeliers? I mean, all these sorts of stuff. And what if I get persecuted? You know, I just don't like pain. It hurts. You know, there's all this sort of stuff. And will I have to be around people? I love coming to church, but I hate being around people. Right? There's all this sort of stuff. And think about it. This is God talking. He knows stuff, and he loves you. He knows what's best and all that. And we're sitting there thinking we got something to say. So it's always good to just count to three, stand back, and go, oh, that's right, this is God's will. Much better than anything I can bring to the table. I want to end with a, a fanciful description of something. Go 
going to go back to cleaning a room. Let's say you, you take your, I'm going to say make it a 12-year-old. Tell your 12-year-old, go clean your room. And they go away and they come back and say, Dad, I know you wanted me to clean the room, but I came up with a much better idea. Really, I, 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 uh, I, I went out and I raked all the leaves in the backyard. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. But would you go clean your room? Okay. Dad, guess what? You know that command, clean your room? That was an awesome command. It inspired me. So much so, I've memorized it. <laughs> clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. Great. That's awesome. You got it deep down in your heart. Yeah, I have it hidden in my heart. Okay. Did you clean your room? No, not yet. Go clean your room. Comes back later. Dad, you know, while I was sitting there praying about cleaning my room, <laughs> God gave me a song. And I wrote it down. You want to hear it? it, it, it God is going to use it to help people clean their room. <laughs> clean your room for Jesus. You know, isn't it great, Dad? That, you know, we'll start off just acoustic, but I think we can bring some heavy metal into it. All right, we're good. Yeah. And that's a great song, you know. And, and, and Dad, you know, we could probably cut... Cut a, you know, cut a CD or something like that, and then we could, we could sell it, and we could make money to give to missions, right? Great. That's great. I appreciate your roses, but could you please clean your room? Two weeks later, Dad, I just want to let you know, I know how much you're into outreach. I've started a small group in my school, and we've gotten together, and we discuss. You know, it's amazing the stuff on the internet. We discuss what it would look like for our rooms to be clean. We discuss it all the different ways. It's not just one way to clean your room. There's so many ways. It's awesome. And we've had even done an outreach, and we've even been able to go to other people's homes and teach them how to clean their rooms. It's just amazing. Many have come to the Lord. Great. Have you cleaned your room? Sometimes what kids do, you tell them to do something, and they go, clean my room? Hey, Dad, have you seen how much stuff I can lift with my bare hands? Or, or look at me dance? And it's all really good, but it's just a distraction. You know how kids go, look at me, right? And I know, I mean, I was a kid, I remember doing that, and I'd go, but did you clean your room? That's awesome. I celebrate you. Can't wait to see more of it after you clean your room. This actually happened. I, I have, you know, I told you I have three daughters, 13. She's going to be 12 real soon, and six and a half. My six and a half year old tried this one on me. It was great. Go clean your room. She loves cleaning a room now, but then she didn't. And she was gone for a while, and she comes running down the hall. I'm sitting on the couch. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And she jumps onto the couch into my arms hugs me and goes, you're the bestest daddy. I love you so much. She's kissing me all over. And I'm going, this is great. I mean, every daddy loves that. Oh, I love you. Right? And we're just sitting there nestled into each other. And I just whispered, you didn't clean your room, did you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. Break every chain. Oh. And, you know, and Jesus, and I, man, I love that. I, I love your roses. But they're this lily I want you to take care of. Here's the hard part. 
Have you ever noticed how God sets things up? He says, this is what I want. And then in our own strength, we can't give him what he wants. I mean, in James, you want to really be mature? Control your tongue. That's what it says. And then shortly after that, it goes, but no man can control his tongue. God, do you want me to be mature? Yes. Aim to be mature. It's a great thing to be mature. How do you do that? Control your tongue, but you can't do it. Isn't that weird? Isn't Christianity sort of weird? Why would God lay something out there knowing that we can't do it? I've known people, I just can't control my tongue. Well, bless your heart. I know how to say that in Southern. I know what that means. (laughs) Bless your heart. You can't control your tongue. But the Holy Spirit can. Have you ever surrendered the use of your tongue to the Holy Spirit? You know, if you're a tongue wagger, you know, I just uh, a story comes to you and boom, it's on YouTube. You know that kind of thing. Surrender your tongue to the Holy Spirit, and guess what's going to happen? Next time you want to be a gossip or criticize someone behind their back and all that, guess what's going to happen? You'll go, you'll feel that little, and it's the Holy Spirit giving you what you need to do what's right. In order to obey, if you think the obedient life is something you can pull off in your own strength, please think again. This is one of the reasons why, in Ephesians chapter 5, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just a once a time thing. This is an everyday, all the time kind of command. It doesn't say be charismatic and dance and it doesn't say pray in tongues, although that's part of it. It doesn't say, say have mind-blowing spiritual experiences. It, it could include that, but what it actually says is to adopt a certain lifestyle, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In this sense, it means to be continually and increasingly surrendered to the ministries of the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. When you are continually and increasingly saying... Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, I surrender to whatever you want to do in my life. You will have what you need to obey God. I'll I'll, I'll prove it in Scripture, but I want you to see this. When you see a conflict between God's will and your will, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're more surrendered to the Holy Spirit, guess what? You'll see the conflict for what it really is. You'll see it better. You'll say, well, this is a poor second. God's way is all. You'll see it better because the Holy Spirit, he, he reveals truth. And God's way is always, you'll see it better. And then you'll actually have the power to get the train out of the station. Say no to that thing and yes to God. We can't see the preferred choice without the Holy Spirit. And we don't have the power to say yes to God, to obey God, at the expense of other things we want, without the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Look, we all know, hopefully, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, you get refreshed, you get filled, you have power. There's all these subjective things that are just real gifts from God. But there's something imminently practical about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Consider Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, it says, Filled with the Holy Spirit... Jesus was led into the desert. He was led into a battle. I used to think that the temptation 
was some sort of defensive thing. Like Jesus would go, I'm going I'm to go pray, I'm going to fast, and then, and then I'll be ready for ministry. And the devil came and tried to distract his prayer life. That's how I used to think about it. Until I saw that the Holy Spirit led him into battle. It was actually inoffensive. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, into battle. And you know the story. He was led into the enemy's way or his father's way. Three different times it was, what are you going to choose? And Jesus, you know, of course he's God and all, but he, he sort of put aside his rights of divinity and all he did was depend on the Holy Spirit to be able to see and discern what's going on and have the power to say no to this and yes to that. These are, this is a long bumper sticker. But what you are filled with is what will lead you. And what you are filled with is what you're going to fight with. I will say that again. What you're full of is what's going to lead you. And what you're full of is what you're going to fight with. And I'm not trying to be inappropriate here, but you know, sometimes we find that we're just full of it. We're full of fear. We're full of anger. We're full of religious tradition. We're full of a whole bunch of things. And when there's conflict, guess what leads us? Guess what? Oh man, that's a new thing. If I'm full of tradition, I'm going to fight the new thing and I'm going to be led by the old thing. If you're filled with fear, when there's a challenge, you'll either, ah, or just run away. It's a minute what you're full of. And it, man, if you're really self-centered, you're going, I love you, God, but she's so hot, she's so wonderful, and man, I, I know she doesn't want to compromise, but I really like her. You know, and if you're full of lust, you'll be led by lust. If you're full of self-centeredness, you'll use someone for your own gratification. You'll do it. That's why we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be continually and increasingly surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So that when it's game time, we can see the choices much better. And we have the power to give the Lord lilies. There's, there's nothing better than giving Jesus your lilies. If you look at the book of Acts, every time God pours out His Spirit, there's hardly any mention of how good the people felt when they got filled, although that's true. Did you know, every time God poured out His Spirit, God started something that had never been there before. Started a church, started a movement. You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing the new things God will do through you. So I say all that to bring us to this point, the drama point. But no background music. As we grow in God, there comes a time when we want to give Jesus our lilies and not just our roses. When that becomes more important than just doing good things for God that he appreciates. But when, when we get to that place, we have to rely more on the Holy Spirit than we ever have before. doesn't mean you have to be charismatic or whatever that means. So, 
I really believe this church is in a place of great transition. Not tumult and craziness, but the nature of this church, the ethos of this church, that how things are going to be done. God's going to be asking you all to do certain things, and you'll have ways that you've been doing it, or you'll have expectations, or this is what I want out of a church, and God's saying, that's great, but this is where I'm leading, and I'm telling you, you can go, well, I'm going to go find a place that gets me what I want, or I can go, God, show me how to give you lilies. Show me how to obey you here. Because that's where the transformation comes. So, I don't know quite how to do this. I don't want to put any pressure. Uh, I know. You guys have been sitting long enough. Why don't you stand and then I'll pray. I was going to say, if anybody wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, please stand. And someone will sit there and go, man, he's just putting pressure on me. I don't want to do that religious thing. Let's stand. And this really is one of those holy moments, you know. Lord Jesus, we love you. As a matter of fact, we can't love you without our knowing that you've loved us first. That's just, we have nothing to give to you that you haven't given to us. Lord, it is our heart to give you lilies. When our ways or the ways of the world conflict with what you, what you clearly say to us, our heart is to obey you. Now just forgive us where we've chosen wrongly or we, when we've looked at your wisdom and your directive as some sort of competitor to other sources of wisdom. Just please forgive us. But God, um, what we don't need is to try harder to obey. What we need is your Spirit in a greater way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill every person here who is willing to be filled. And God, I ask this would start like an everyday thing where people just wake up and go, Lord, this day, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And we get just to see how you lead and guide us in new, fresh ways. God, I ask that you would bring this church to a place of happy obedience. That that even the mistakes made in the name of obedience would be just wonderfully, wonderful things. So God, I ask that you would fill us, you would continue to fill us, that we would enjoy being filled, that it would become who we are to be spirit-filled people who enjoy saying yes to you, even at the expense of some good things that are just basically our ideas. God, I ask that you would help us give, give you lilies. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.